0: Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Bob Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations. So here's a bit about what they've done and how I came to know them. One day, about eight years ago, I received an email from a man telling me of his independent holistic school on Orcus Island, Washington. He mentioned Ron Miller, one of the prime movers of holistic education over the past 30 years. And Ron's name always moves me, for without his generosity of spirit and support, Josette and I would have been hard-pressed to create natural learning relationships, the first holistic appreciation of child development. So Ron's name opened the door, and Paul Friedman walked in, and in one way or another, we've been collaborating ever since. Paul is a parent of two nearly adult children, as he says, and has been a classroom teacher for 23 years. Paul is co-founder and head of school at the Salmonbury School, an independent pre-K to sixth grade school on Orcas Island, Washington. Paul serves on the faculty of the Self-Designed Graduate Institute and is a contributing editor for the journal Encounter. Most recently, Paul is the founding co-director of the Holistic Education Initiative, which can be found on the internet at holisticedinitiative.org. A passionate author, educator, activist, networker, and student, Paul focuses on bringing holistic educational theory into practice. Paul would love for you to contact him at dancingmonkey at rockisland.com. So, good morning. Good morning. So, I understand that it takes tremendous courage to start um, a small, holistic school. And I'm just wondering where in you that courage comes from.
1: Mm. Um, you know, reflecting back on the on the founding of the school, um, it was so, uh, emergent, accidental, um. It was not the, you know, grand vision of realizing my pedagogy or, you know, it, it was just very organic. Um, so it, it's interesting now to think back on on it as a courageous act. And, uh, you know, so I'll have more thoughts about that. But the founding of the school seemed to happen very spontaneously and organically, mostly because we had some some children, you know, and they needed a place to play. And it was about just providing space for, for the kids to play, to express themselves, to do some art, to to have a safe place.
0: Well, the courage really comes from um, stepping away from cultural and societal expectations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to say, OK, education is going to be for the younger kids play based and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's really so what's the what's the insight that allows that mm-hmm. And as a former school director, I mean, the parents all the time, when is my child going to read? Right. And those kinds of questions. Yes.
1: And those emerged later for us, you know, not at the moment of founding, but, but as, as the school progressed and definitely there were moments where you needed some courage. Um, I think, you know, for me, I had already taught public school for eight or nine years. Um, I had, experienced what excellence means, you know, defined by the mainstream bureaucracies. And, uh, and then I had a child. And um, I think like so many uh, educators who have some inkling that we need to rethink things, it's born out of, um, you know, the nurturing instinct of a loving parent. And uh, my child, uh, like so many, was not a square peg kind of kid. And I had been teaching in a setting where you really needed to be if the, if you were going to be successful. And um, his first intro to school was at a lovely neighborhood co-op preschool that we had sought out because it felt like a, a homey place that parents were welcome and all of that. And yet <clears throat> the trappings of what we think of as necessary components to education, like time to line up time to put toys away. Everyone come to the circle. Now it's rug time. you know, even when he was four years old, that was not going to work easily. And, you know, a few days in, you could see sort of the, the, the future, what that path looked like. And it was going to, he could have gotten there, but at what cost to his, to his being, you know, um, the system was going to work its magic uh very quickly you know and so that wasn't working so um when i when i uh thought about formal education after that um <clears throat> it was always with that in mind you know kids are quirky kids are unique and if it's not going to work for my kid they're going to be a bunch of others for whom that's...
0: I, I, I'm last, sitting here smiling because Ruby, my granddaughter, I took her for swimming lessons, mm-hmm. and she was uh, young, I guess she was four or five, and um, they had to, they did their f- swim, and then as each child had their chance, the other children had to sort of just sit in the water along mm-hmm. the edge, mm-hmm. and she would just start floating away. <laughs> And and the teacher became flummoxed. They had no clue at all what to do. Right. Except calling her back because she's a sweet child. She's not going to She oh, yeah, okay, comes back. And then the water would just take her. Yeah. Go, and I just would sit on the sideline and laugh and laugh.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is interesting how the most, um, you know, seemingly innocuous practices or just what we expect about pedagogy and education in both formal and informal settings are ubiquitous and they they have such assumptions about what it means to educate inherent in the practices. And so we just expect kids are there to learn compliance, kids are learn there to learn, you know, how to how to do what's expected and not much more and certainly nothing different.
0: I know. I say, I've said to the parents in the schools I've had, I said, okay, so you're there. And it's that first few moments and you're holding your child in your, it's in, in, in your arms and you look down and you say, I can't wait till you compete in the global marketplace. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and over the years at our school, you know, cause it's an important part of what we try to do, we're listening to parents a lot, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? And we take those expressions really seriously. And we do goal setting with, with parents as a regular part of our, our curriculum process. And um, nobody says that that's not why, what people want for their kids. And yet it is what, you know,
0: it's the draw. It just pulls them along. Yeah. So salmonberry um, goes through what age?
1: Uh, 12 years old.
0: 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have grades? Uh, Yes, loosely
1: defined. And I sort of wish we didn't. Um, A lot of our practices, I feel like are uh, a bit of a compromise between my holistic ideals and what we need to do to keep the classes full and parents, you know, free of too much anxiety and stuff like that. So, so I would love to be able to say this child is eight years old and, and he or she is getting just what they need. Um, and we don't care if they're in third grade or fourth grade, because really I don't, we do have blended classrooms so that kids of a three year age span roughly will share a instructional space and and learning environment. But, You know, when the rubber meets the road, I do tell parents your child is in third grade because they, you know, they want to know. We try to de-emphasize it. We try not to have the kids perseverate on it. This is not third grade work, and that is fifth grade work. This is just Eve's work, and that is Danny's work, you know. Um, But it's, you know, it's one of the many sort of tough things to erase.
0: And so when you say that there are compromises between your holistic ideals, this is a great forum. Let's mm-hmm. hear those ideals.
1: The ideals.
0: Oh. Um That was supposed to bring a sigh of joy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, it it um you know, Parker Palmer talks about the tragic gap and it's that, um, you know, can you really let yourself imagine what what this could be and then inevitably reflect, you know, hopefully in a healthy way on where you are and what needs to be done to to get to there. And it makes this, there's a heaviness to it as you know, for me. Um, but at the same time, what a privilege to even be able to ask that question, you know, compared to the millions of educators who are just plugging away in a system and don't have the breathing space to, to pick their heads up. um, my holistic ideals include, um, kids should, uh, be guided to um, author their own lives and learning. Um, we should be striving to provide the space, uh, the relationships, the um, environments, and the inspiration, the content that ignites kids' learning so that they can soar. Um, kids should be able to do that at their own pace. They should be able to follow their hearts in terms of um, passions. And um, gosh, that should be fun. You know, there should be play and there should be laughter. And um, and I wish we could protect them from longer, at least from the, um, you know, forces of time and Achievement and documentation and you know we're all natural learning beings, and given the time and space and support to let kids learn what they want to learn when they want to learn with their friends and with with a guiding teacher, you know, I do think there's role for the educator um but it's a lot about you know again, Parker Palmer talks about this sheepdog metaphor, which I, I'm not sure I fully like the imagery, but, um, but he says, you know, as a, as a teacher, you're sort of um, holding space for, for the flock. That's where it breaks down for me, the sheep, you know, (laughs) but, um, but you know, you're protecting the space, you're keeping forces away, you're letting it evolve naturally and it will, you know
0: when When you speak of inspiration, I wonder if you could be a little bit more specific, sure, because that also seems like a more um, um uh, involved role for I, the educator yeah,
1: I agree. This is where um for me, looking at other alternative pedagogies and schools, um some of the more democratic or free school approaches which I respect and which work for certain learners um, kind of breaks down. So I've just watched kids who given um, a lot of space, but not much inspiration tend to spin a little bit. And, you know, um, they had an issue at a, at a free school I visited. I spoke with the head of school and, and they had kids who were playing violent video games fairly uh, addictively and, and, um, and were, you know, engaging in ways that weren't really stimulating their growth and development. And there was no model within the school to guide them out of that towards something that might be more challenging and stimulating and inspiring. I mean, I think in my work with the kids, uh, there's, a need to inspire. I do think that the teach one of the teacher's um, opportunities is to model our own interest, passion, and engagement. And um,
0: can you be specific and tell us how you do that?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, again, there's no magic formula or right way, but for me um, we were out in the woods the other day working with a, uh, an ecologist and had the kids out at a state park and, um, and we got out uh, some cedar wood and some carving knives and we were starting to make shapes and, you know, he was teaching grasps and well, woodworking is something I love. And, and, and I put these tools in my hands. Now it was tempting to go grab um A couple of kids near me and teach them how, but instead I just engaged with my authentic and passionate interest in making my little form. And, um, and it sparks, you know, it sparks, uh, throws sparks, I guess, onto little flames, um, that we're trying to ignite in kids and man, that's, you know, they, they got to see it in some cases, not always, but they got to see what's possible. No one's going to just, few people will pick up a trumpet and just start blowing in it and have success. You know, they, they have to see that, wow, that's a really cool way to express yourself. I'm curious. I'm interested in it, you know, see what they lean into, but I think they need the models um, to
0: spark that. So that's Vygotsky stuff too, isn't it? The zone of proximal development. Yeah, that by yep. doing around children they learn much much quicker. That by teaching them and leaving them on their own, right, and filling them with some facts, here's right. how you tie your shoes, rather than oh, let's tie our shoes together.
1: Right, and I think if in part we surround them with with you know sources of inspiration, with cool things that are happening, and and interesting people who are engaged in those activities. Um, then you see what the kids lean into, you know, um, and a, any given thing is not going to necessarily be the hook for everyone, but, uh, but the engagement, the hook is, um, is a really important part. Once the learner, I think feels that sense of engagement, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the specific thing is. You know, we're trying to bring the kids into that experience of, wow, learning is cool. It's fun. It's interesting. I didn't know that yesterday. And now I'm and what what it means to to practice and work at something and come to a higher level of skill or understanding and feel good about it. Then that is the lifelong, you know, imprint that applies to anything they're going to do.
0: It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them, and I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more of myself. Today's story is called The Ferryman. The wise fool ran a ferry across a rather turbulent river. It was a cockle shell of a ferry, not very stable-looking at all. One day, a teacher came down the path and needed the ferry. How do you think the weather is? Do you think this this, this boat is going to make it? I don't know nothing about it, said the wise fool. Said the teacher, that's a double negative. Half your life has been wasted if you don't know your grandma. The wise fool said nothing. Together, they climbed aboard the cockle shell and started out into the river. All of a sudden, a storm came up and the river became ever more turbulent. The wise fool turned to the teacher said, Excuse me, have you learned how to swim? No, said the teacher. Well, then your whole life has been wasted because we're going over. Can you find meanings in this story about education? If so, send your insights to ba at lovemoreconsulting.com. A three-person panel will select the most relevant stories, and they will be read at the end of a subsequent podcast. Again, that's ba at l-u-v-m-o-u-r c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot com. I look forward to your insights and to learning from you. Those insights selected will receive a copy of the award winning book, So Valuable for Parents and Educators Grow Together Parenting as a Path to Well Being, Wisdom, and Joy, by Dr. Josette Lovemore. Yes, we have the same last name, and we are married, and we have been working together in holistic education for more than 30 years but that 's not the reason I offer this book. Check out her many accolades and the book reviews on our website lovemoreconsulting.com. so Paul, I know you for many years now, mm-hmm. and um, I know you 've been influenced and i you're, you're the to me you're the person who most goes out seeks other people 's understandings, teachings learnings. Brings them back to your own school and lets them influence you in your very sense of self. Thank you. Talk about some of those. The, the, well, first of all, why do you do that? <laughs> and second of all, doesn't it get confusing at times because yeah. the messages must contradict at times?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And third of all, what what's the effect?
1: Right. Great question. Thank you. Um, it yeah, for me. Uh, both teaching and school leadership, and my journey as a writer and and the other organizations I've connected with has uh, hugely been about my own curiosity, intellectual curiosity. When I realized like eight years into my teaching career that there was such a thing as alternative pedagogy, Um, it was pretty shocking because I consider myself a, a fairly perspicacious spirit. Like I'm curious. And I, I, had I known that Rudolf Steiner existed, I would have read his stuff, you know? And, um, and the fact that my whole teacher education program, all the other teachers at the schools I was working at had no sense that there was a landscape that we were in, you know, we were just it. That was the way you did things. So, um, so upon discovering, wow, there's something called Waldorf Education. Oh, there was this woman called Maria Montessori. She had some ideas. And then so on, what that uh revealed as I dug deeper was really kind of shocking, actually. Um and started the, yeah, this journey of, of real self-exploration. For me, it feels like the classroom in some ways is the lab. And I don't mean in the sense that the kids are the rats and we're experimenting with their, you know, but it, it, it is the opportunity to realize all kinds of, of creative visions and, and see what, what works for these kids for this particular group in this moment, in this place. <clears throat> so. um, You mentioned earlier about, you know, the courage and, um, and yeah, to kind of you know, deviate from what's expected in the mainstream. For us at the school, it came up a few years after founding where there began to be some very uh, legitimate concerns about what are we doing? What is the point? Where are we going with this? Will the kids ever have homework? Does it matter? How do we know they're at grade level? Does that matter? And the conversation among the school founders um, began to have that edge of like self-doubt and, uh, is this okay? Well, it's working for her, but my kid's a little behind, I think. And, you know, so, um, so that really initiated my own sense that somebody needs some sense of what we are doing. And, and, um, and I happily, (laughs) um, went back to school and, uh, actually I started reading first started talking to people i was really curious to
0: see this is kind of mind-blowing excuse me for a second yeah but you and marnie and josette and several others all in a post accomplishment we might say said wait there's something more i yeah. have to, and went back to school or engaged in other venues to bring forward their understanding yeah that i uh, that is so impressive
1: thank you yeah I mean it was it was both prior to going back in to figure this thing out there was a sense of comfort in knowing wow my career path is set the goals and and expectations are clear um, I you know moving up in my leadership roles through the discipline the division the whatever school hierarchy I could see my path to administration if I wanted to do that and you um, and then, you know, for me, through my own kid, it just uh, reflecting, like, what would that look like? What a hollow, like, soulless <laughs> path. Um, so anyway, back to, the, uh, to my own sort of journey for, for inspiration and sources of wisdom. You know, my return to graduate school connected me, and it wasn't an accident. I sought out uh, Ron Miller. And you know, I was reading his stuff. Um, he was a professor at Goddard College. I enrolled at Goddard. Um, he had just left Goddard, but I <laughs> found him, um, and he directed me towards half a dozen other um, important to me important um, scholars and authors and schools and sources of wisdom, including you. Um, So, and then since then, you know, I'm sort of a little bit like a junkie. I, you know, you
0: are, (laughs) and you're known around here, by the way, you're known for that.
1: Yeah. So I, I, you know, I find tremendous satisfaction in, in connecting those dots and, in noticing, oh, what, what's, what this person is writing about resonates with what I'm seeing over there, even though it's in another part of the country or another country, and um <clears throat> you know the profession tends to be so isolating and uh so consuming and and there you know conferences like the holistic teaching and learning conference where we're at now um are these you know points of nexus the these places where connections can happen but then we all return to our little cubbies and we're you know running in our Little hamster wheels and um and for me yeah i the practice is uh enlivened it is um you know gains meaning from the context around it for me which is a lot of heady kind of intellectual um exploration uh and i just love talking listening to to people's perspectives and backgrounds and stories and inevitably I find sources of wisdom that I can use, whether it's, you know, whatever wacky pedagogy you know people are pursuing. I'm like, wow, that would be really interesting. And again, I feel so fortunate to have in my little school the freedom and the opportunity and the license to experiment, you know.
0: So all of that seems to have come together with the holistic education initiative.
1: Right. So One of the people with whom I had been uh, networking over a decade was uh, Debbie Millen. And Debbie was the head at the Bellwether School, which is a school Ron Miller helped to found. Um, Very Salmonberry-like school, partly by accident and partly by design. They'd really been a sister school for us. And I'd... um, they founded maybe 5 years before us or so and i had leaned on debbie for for advice how do you do this and how do you from the real mundane nuts and bolts stuff to to real you know what is the point of all this and where are we and she was terrific and she was very um you know generous with her with her uh willingness to talk and and anyway we had never met until just a couple of years ago, 2015 or something after, you know, a lot of like, we should get together. Where are we going to do that? And, and we met and, uh, and she presented to me the idea of the holistic ed initiative. Um, And basically the vision with that is uh, could we help to be the catalyst, which connects people in the field? Is that needed? What specifically would we do? Um, so what we've sort of defined as our role, at least for now in phase one, is uh is we're looking to try to accomplish three things. One is to provide a um sort of database or a resource uh repository for um uh humans and their work, which for us can help define what we mean by holistic education. So it's sort of, a, we maintain a resource library and a blog and a site online where people can go if they're curious about what is this thing we call holistic education. Second thing we're, we're doing is we're funding um, projects and people. So people who are interested in deepening their practice or have a specific idea that they just don't have the funds to realize, um, we're trying to Find those funds and make them available to support people's inspiration um, and deepen their practice in holistic education. And then, thirdly, we're hoping to, um, to provide coaching and um, guidance for people who just need a little more so they can contract with, with us and we'll find them a mentor essentially.
0: Seems like a perfect natural outcome for you, Paul.
1: I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, You know, it's one of those things. And I say this about many things. I don't have time for that. You know, like uh, I'm really busy. I'm in the classroom still. I'm leading the school. We're, you know, trying to have a bake sale or whatever, (laughs) but, um, but I kind of can't stop myself. And it's, it's, yeah, it's what a great project. And it puts me into community with all sorts of cool and interesting, inspiring people.
0: It's interesting to me that you've, you've your natural curiosity and then your intentionality to bring things forward is a way that you've eroded the isolation. When you use the word isolation, it really struck me because that has been my feeling when I've been involved in the different schools and learning centers uh, Mm -hmm. that I've been part of. Mm -hmm. And it was, even at these conferences, it was, I I just, it was just hard for me to reach out and to absorb others because it is so involved to Mm -hmm. really, do a good holistic school mm-hmm. and that isolation was, was strong for me. That's why I'm do. that's part of the reason I'm doing these podcasts. Right. It's time for me to learn a lot more about other people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that impulse. And this is such a lovely, intimate, you know, vehicle for that too. It's, you know, the conference works for a certain kind of learner, you know, like, but, um,
0: but breaking down that isolation. Yeah. yeah. Um, is a is a pretty uh, strong challenge for us yes. in our in our world because the funding stream is not just there. Right. The checks aren't just coming. So there is the serving the parents and their needs and their confusions and their fears and the societal expectations. There is knowing each student. I right. am sure you'd agree that's an essence of what we do. Who is this student? and then and then all the attendant uh you know careful administration fundraising and just bringing our message forward because it's strong in all of us right it, it can be so isolating yes so and thank you for the <clears throat> initiative but also as a, for those listeners what do we need to do to break down that isolation and this conference we're attending right now is great. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's enough.
1: Right. No, I completely agree. The um, um Yeah, I mean, another motivating factor for me in trying to to, you know, serve in some small way that catalyst role was <clears throat> seeing in the holistic ed community, particularly, which I think has the greatest promise for building bridges. I mean, all the, all the work is about connection, you know, how are in what ways are we connected? And yet there's still sort of this territorialism and this, you know, tendency to uh, you find your couple of people or your couple of schools and that's your group and not necessarily reach out across um, chasms Um and and specifically when I, you know, as I was getting into my study in holistic education, I saw the leading holistic ed journal fold. I saw people like Ron Miller, who was, uh, you know, um, moderating panel discussions and, and hosting conferences with the subtitle, um, you know, uh, networking the networks and really wanting to make those connections across pedagogies. Kind of give up and pull out and retire and um and yeah, it's just needed, you know
0: so much patience mm-hmm. it's so much patience, and I've noticed that in myself mm-hmm. so much patience is required, but on the other hand, and at least for me, and I would like your take on this it's not um it's not it's a challenge, but it's not a problem because they're really, it's really clear what has to be done Mm -hmm. and that inner clarity rather than the external response to it Mm -hmm. is to me anyway, what keeps, keeps it just alive and enthusiastic. Right.
1: Right. And there is, I think a sense I have as well, that there's, um, you know, that self-organizing principle where as human consciousness is evolving, these little isolated projects are bubbling up and there's an inherent shared purpose, whether we get together and hold each other's hands and say, we're a team or not. It's happening. You know, it's happening across space and across um, other boundaries. Um, I just like to shine the light on those kinds of connections and have us notice, you know, it's not just you, a crazy person doing a nutty thing in in a remote location. It's actually part of a bigger evolution.
0: So I like to ask people, there's a lot of people who'll be hearing this, who are think about education. Many people have seen the challenge, the uh, confusions in traditional education. And what message, what single message would you like to bring to those educators or parents who Are on the edge and understand something more is possible.
1: I think there is nothing more full of hope and potential than uh, the idea of our children's latent development. You know, our kids have the potential, every one of them, for unfolding into beautiful fully uh, actualized beings and it's that vision like that can should and hopefully does motivate us to be a little more creative and to reach a little deeper and a little further um towards realizing that goal i mean our current mainstream dominant model of education takes these amazing three-dimensional maybe more
0: well, definitely more <laughs> oh my gosh
1: beings and and puts them on these one-dimensional paths and you see you know dropout rates and addictions and all kinds of dysfunction and then later how how people behave and treat one another and what values are as adults and how much of that stems from from the formal education that, that we're giving kids? And it's just tragic. You know, it's tragic. And yet, every time a new child walks their first day into a kindergarten classroom, there's still that incredible, unlimited potential and hope. And so it's, you know, there's the potential for us as adults and educators to have constant renewal. You know, I mean, I have new kids every year and. Sometimes, several times a year. And every one of them is just like, ah, oh, what a gift to me to have that, what a privilege, that opportunity to engage a kid who hasn't been engaged, you know,
0: brings you to tears. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is a production of Lovemore Consulting 2 LLC. Copyright Ba and Josette Lovemore 2018. Our sound engineer, Dimitri Young, our webmaster, Nathan Young, and our all important media maven, Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at lovemoreconsulting.com slash podcasts. Bye and Josette Lovemore would also like to thank Self Design Graduate Institute. We teach there, and at Self Design, we nurture each learner's ability. To explore inner and outer worlds, and discover his or her own deep understanding and vision. Go to the SDGI website and see for yourself. That's www.selfdesigninstitute.org. This is Ba Lovemore, reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives with respect for you and for children everywhere. See you next time.